Hello everyone. The reading is from Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. That's Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Alfred Mendes enlisted in the British Army in January 1916 at the age of 19, the same age as my son is now. He was soon sent off to France to train to be a signaller. Signallers were responsible for signalling communications from the front lines back to the command position and vice versa. Often it involved laying landlines down in dangerous enemy territory. On October the 12th, 1917, Alfred faced his most daunting test yet. Hundreds of British soldiers had been charged with reclaiming a village in Belgium from the Germans. It was an important strategic location. The British troops attacked on a day that poured down with rain. 158 men in Alfred's battalion of 484 were killed or wounded. No one could locate the missing men as they were scattered across miles of waterlogged foxholes and craters in the mud. Stuck in the middle of no man's land, they were unable to communicate their positions back, back to the safe zone, without being killed. When Alfred Mendes' commanding officer asked for a volunteer to do the almost certainly fatal job of running out 
to locate the positions of the surviving men, and then reporting back to the troops. Alfred volunteered for the job. Miraculously, he survived and located a number of survivors, enabling them to be rescued. It was an act for which Alfred was decorated for bravery. His actions became the inspiration for the film, 1917. In an interview, writer and director Sam Mendes explains the source of the film. I had a story that was a fragment told to me by my grandfather, who fought in the First World War. It's the story of a messenger who has a message to carry. The Apostle Paul is a messenger with a message to carry, and he's willing to suffer to carry it. The Roman church where he was based was also seeing itself in this way. The Philippian church, to whom Paul is writing, views itself as full of messengers with a message to carry. And just like for Alfred Mendes, they would have to go through great danger and endure much suffering to pass on this message, this vital message about Jesus and about all that he's done for us. How do you keep going then in the Christian life when things go wrong? How do you keep passing on the message about Jesus when people are opposed to you, when things go wrong, when life is an experience of suffering? How do you persevere in the Christian life? Certainly, it helps to put things in perspective. We're not being called to run out into no man's land in the First World War and literally invite oncoming fire. We're not being asked to do anything like this. But we are being called to suffer for Christ. Suffering for Christ is inescapable. We've all had this experience, or if we haven't, we will do soon. Here in Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church with whom he is good friends. He thanks God every time he remembers them. He always prays with joy because of their partnership with him in the gospel. Paul has them in his heart. He longs for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now Paul seeks to reassure the church. Paul is imprisoned in Rome. Superficially, this looks like a disaster. If I was locked up away from family and friends, I'd be pretty upset about that. But the Apostle Paul wants to reassure his readers. Suffering advances the gospel. And secondly, suffering leads to salvation. Firstly then, suffering advances the gospel. Verses 12 to 18a, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. How can this be? How can being locked up in a dreary Roman prison actually advance the gospel? Well, verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else 
that I am in chains for Christ. So Paul is being guarded by the emperor's palace guard. And Paul gets to share the gospel with them. And now the message of the gospel has spread around the whole palace. Paul's imprisonment has taken the gospel to the imperial palace. Verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So far from being discouraged, the Roman church is inspired by Paul's example. And most of them are sharing the gospel without fear. That's a very great thing. Most of us know much fear as we try and share the gospel. It's true, verse 15, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So life is not perfect in the Roman church. Some are envious of Paul and rival us with him. That's very sad. The gospel should make us love one another. Too often this is not the case. There is envy and rivalry in the church. But always at the same time, there's genuine fellowship. Some preach Christ out of goodwill, verse 16. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. That knowledge would destroy most of us. I've been put in prison and my fellow church members want to store up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But this doesn't destroy Paul, verse 18. But what does it matter whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. Paul rejoices that the gospel is being preached despite the motives of some of the preachers. Suffering, then, advances the gospel. And secondly, suffering leads to salvation. Verse 18b. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is itself a remarkable statement. In a Roman prison, stabbed in the back by fellow Christians, I will continue to rejoice. In the book Christian History, John McRae comments that the Apostle Paul spent roughly one quarter of his missionary career in prisons. According to McRae, Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged. A humiliating, painful and bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated as prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains, mutilated sometimes. Blood-stained clothing was not replaced, even in the, in the winter. Most cells were dark, especially the inner cells of a prison, like the one Paul and Silas inhabited in Philippi. 
unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets. All this made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Many prisoners begged for a speedy death. Others simply committed suicide. In settings like this, Paul wrote encouraging, even joyful letters and continued to speak of Jesus. Rejoicing in God then is an act of the will. It's not dependent upon feelings. It's not dependent upon circumstances. Paul has decided to rejoice. Therefore he can say in chapter 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul continues to rejoice, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The word for deliverance here can also be translated vindication or salvation. Paul knows that his friends in the Philippian church are praying for him. He also knows the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that he's not alone. The Spirit of Jesus is with him. And in the end, Paul will be delivered. He will be saved. He will be vindicated, verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. It doesn't matter whether I live or die, says Paul. All that matters is that I will not be ashamed to talk about Jesus, so that Christ is exalted, Christ is magnified, Christ is shown to be great and glorious. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's remarkable. If I live, I live to show Christ, to exalt Christ in my body. If I die, the way that I die will exalt Christ. And I will gain. I will go to heaven. I will be better off by far. Verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. If I live, I will tell people about Jesus. If I live, I will encourage other Christians. If I live, there will be spiritual fruit, new Christians, strengthened and encouraged existing Christians. Yet what shall I choose? Verse 22b, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I would love to go to heaven and be with Christ, says Paul. But, verse 24, it's more necessary for you 
that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul believes he will not die yet. He will remain in the body. He will remain in partnership with the Philippians that they may make progress and know more joy in the faith. Verse 26. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul knows that his effect on the Philippians is that they will talk more about Jesus. They will boast in Christ Jesus. They will tell people about Christ Jesus. Therefore, suffering advances the gospel. And suffering leads to salvation. When you have this perspective on your suffering, you can rejoice. In May 2001, Martin and Gracia Burnham were abducted by Muslim guerrillas whilst working as missionaries on the Philippine island of Palawan. They were new tribes missionaries. Less than a week before the abduction, Martin spoke at his home church. He spoke on following Jesus, whatever the cost. Martin Burnham, just 42 years old, kept that attitude. Throughout the 376 days, he and his wife Gracia, 43 years old, were held captive. Just before a Philippine military raid on their kidnappers that led to Martin's death and Gracia's freedom. The two huddled together in a hammock under a makeshift tent. Martin and Gracie had been thinking that they would not make it out alive. Martin said to Gracia, the Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness. Let's go out all the way. Let's serve him all the way with gladness. The two then prayed in their hammock, recited scripture to each other and sang. They lay down to rest. Then the rescue assault began and bullets began to fly, puncturing Gracia's leg and Martin's chest. God often uses this kind of suffering on the part of his servants. The effect of Paul's imprisonment is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading around the whole palace complex. The Roman believers are emboldened to speak about Christ. Some are doing this out of selfish ambition, but others are doing it out of love. Love for Paul, love for Christ. And suffering leads to salvation. Paul knows that he himself will experience salvation. Even if he dies, he experiences salvation. To die is gain. This is the kind of faith which has bolstered the church in times of great suffering. This is the faith that sustained Martin and Gracia Burnham. 
Margaret Thatcher commented on this kind of faith in the Chinese church. She talks in her autobiography about how you can't suppress a church with a faith like this. Because even if you kill them, they see this as gain. And they rejoice even in suffering. So what about us? What perspective do we have on our suffering? Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Even our suffering works for the good, not for everyone, not all suffering is for the good, but for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. God works everything for our good, not for our enjoyment. We won't enjoy our suffering, but God will use it. He'll use it to make us more like Jesus. God will use it to accomplish his purpose in our lives. The Apostle Paul is remarkably positive and joyful. Whatever kept the Apostle Paul joyful, we should want. What he had was the presence of the Spirit of Jesus and an unshakable trust in God. Shall we seek those things in our lives? The presence of the Spirit of Jesus, reading his word, enjoying him in prayer, enjoying him as we meet with other believers. The presence of the Spirit of Jesus, and an unshakable trust in God. That's what we need. That's what we should seek.